Who is the happiest person you know? That is, who is the most blessed? I ask that because our scripture passage for this morning, Psalm 1, verse 1, begins with these words. Blessed is the man or the person. And many commentators point out two things. First of all, that the word blessed for the Hebrew really did mean happy. Happy is the man or happy is the person, speaking generically. The second thing is that the word here translated blessed is really in the plural, which probably indicates intensity. So it would be, oh, the great blessedness of the person or the supreme happiness of the person is the idea here. So I ask again, who is the happiest, the most supremely blessed person you know? Would it be perhaps Elon Musk, who is now the richest man in the world? Elon Musk, who is the founder of Tesla and other um, companies, uh, saw his net worth increase $150 billion in one year. So he is now worth $195 billion. That would probably make some people pretty happy. Well, what about if you're into sports? Maybe you're thinking of some athlete who has accomplished something great. It could be Justin Fields, the quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes, who was able to, um, I don't want to say make amends, but, but do what the team was unable to do the year before, and that is defeat the Clemson Tigers, uh, and handily so. And I'm sure that Justin Fields is very happy about that. Would he be the happiest? Or maybe it's Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, who led the Bills to their first playoff win yesterday in 25 years. I would imagine he's pretty happy today. I would imagine both these quarterbacks are pretty happy. It could be some other sports uh, personality. Or I would think that Merlin Pombuan is pretty happy today. You're probably thinking, who? Well, she was a ICU nurse in California who, after eight months in the hospital fighting COVID-19, walked out healthy just the other day. At death's door for many months, and yet now has recovered. All of these and many others are no doubt very happy people. But I want to say they're not the happiest, at least not from God's perspective. Do you want to know God's perspective about who is the most blessed or the happiest, the most supremely happy person? Well, if you want to know that, and if you want to be one of those people in 2021, as we begin this new year, follow with me as I read Psalm 1, all six verses. Blessed or blessed is the man or person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is 
is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Notice four things about the most blessed or happiest person, according to Psalm 1. First of all, we're going to see the description of this person. Secondly, the delight of this person. Third, the discipline of this person. And then fourth, the destiny of this person. First of all, notice the description of the happy, happiest person. In verse 1, we're given a threefold description of this person. He or she walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The first thing that we need to notice about these three statements is that while they are similar, there's progression, or you might say regression, from walking to standing to sitting. From walking in the counsel of the wicked to standing in the way of sinners to sitting in the seat of scoffers. This describes a, a moral regression of a person. But the happy person is the person who does not follow these ways. Each one of these um, descriptions depicts a more committed and more settled lifestyle of sin. Regarding these statements, Ray Stedman, the longtime pastor of Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, California, who is now with the Lord, writes this or wrote this in his book, Psalms of Faith. He writes, To walk is a reference to the decisions that must be made all day long. We're making decisions as we go through life, as we walk. To stand is a picture of the commitments we make to various causes. We take our stand on certain issues or causes. And then thirdly, to sit is a picture of the settled attitude of the heart. With these three things in mind, he adds this. Now, says the psalmist, the man who has found the secret of happiness can be recognized by the fact that he does not walk in the way of the wicked. That is, he does not make decisions as do the ungodly. He has rejected the philosophy of the ungodly. What is that philosophy? Perhaps it can be put into three simple propositions. Me first. I think we can identify with that, right? Second, get it now. I want what I want when I want it. And I want what I want right now. It's the theme song to a musical that our youth used to put on called Waiters. The third proposition is nothing bad will happen. Do what you want, get what you want, 
Things will be okay. Nothing bad will happen. He adds, that is the counsel of the ungodly, the wicked. The man who has learned the secret of happiness rejects that. He does not make his decisions on that basis. Second, he does not stand in the way of sinners. This word sinners is most interesting in the Hebrew. It is a word that means to make a loud noise or to cause a tumult. It is the idea of provoking a riot, of creating a disturbance, making trouble. The psalmist says you can recognize a godly man in that he does not make trouble. He does not provoke riots. He is not at work causing disturbances. He is obedient to the laws of life and of the land. He does not stand in the way of, that is, does not identify with those who live to cause trouble. He has rejected all that. Third, he does not sit in the seat of the scornful or scoffers, of those who blame everyone else but themselves for what is wrong. We all know how easily that kind of attitude comes to our heart. If anything goes wrong, somebody else is always at fault, right? Parents blame the children, excuse me. Parents blame the children, the children blame the parents, and they both blame the schools. The schools blame the parents and the government. One nation blames another. Everyone is blaming everyone else. These are the scornful, the scoffers, the cynics, who cast a baleful eye at life in general and blame others for their problems. The supremely blessed or happy person steadfastly resists these ways of life, walking the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of scoffers. The problem is that these, all of these ways of living life are natural to us. Resisting this is not natural. Left to ourselves, we naturally follow the philosophy of the ungodly and stand in the way of troublemaking sinners and sit in the seat of those who blame everyone but ourselves for our troubles. How then can we resist these natural desires? Well, the psalmist says we need a better, a greater delight. We need to delight in someone or something else that will change us. And that's the second point. We see the delight of the happy person. Excuse me a moment. Now we know that we all have things that we delight in. Other people, maybe a spouse, children, grandchildren. It could be favorite foods. You know, the, the holiday season from Thanksgiving to Christmas and even into New Year just is filled with all kinds of special foods that we enjoy, which we delight in. It could be, as I've already indicated, favorite sports teams. It could be a hobby that you delight in. Or work, work achievements that bring you delight. 
For some people, it's music or art. There are any number of things that we truly do delight in, and there's nothing wrong with this. Delighting in people and things gives meaning and joy to our lives. But there are some delights that have a greater benefit than do others. The truly blessed, the truly happy person, the psalmist says, delights in the law of the Lord. Now here, when we see law of the Lord, in the Psalms, it's just another name for the Scriptures. It represents all of God's Word up to that point. And for us, of course, it would, it would include now all of the Old and the New Testament. It's, it's referring to the Word of God, the whole revelation of God. The godly and happy person has learned that in God's book, he is given a completely different view of life than what he gets from the world. Do you delight in the Word of God? Or do you merely endure it? Let me read and refer you to a few passages of Scripture that I think in the true follower of Christ um, results in great delight. First of all, Psalm 19, especially verses 7 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Or turn over to Psalm 23. I think sometimes very familiar passages of Scripture have a tendency to become just so, um, so familiar that, that we overlook how precious they are, how delightful uh, they, they are as we consider what they say. Listen to Psalm 23. Follow along in your copy of the Scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means I shall not lack. He provides for me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Turn even further into the Psalms. Psalm 103. I'm just going to read the first 13 verses, but the whole chapter that whole psalm is delightful. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I think I can hear a few amens even over the live stream. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And we could add to this pretty much all of the Psalms. Psalm 32, which talks about the blessedness of the one whom the Lord has forgiven. Psalm 46, which talks about our mighty refuge, the Lord. Psalm 139, which speaks to us of God's perfect knowledge of us, even from before we were knitted in our mother's wombs, and just on and on and on and on. Just the Psalms themselves are delightful. That is full of delight. But think about all of the precious promises and statements about our relationship with God through Christ that we find in the New Testament. I'm only going to read one, but there are so many others. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the, from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And again, you could add to this tremendous passage other passages like Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Or Romans chapter 8, the entirety of it. Just starting with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And 
ending with the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 and just on and on and on and on in the book of Hebrews that talks about the supremacy of Christ and and how he has for once for all offered sacrifice for our sins. If you could read these and many, many other passages in God's word and not delight in them, something's missing we probably need to have a talk or you need to talk with some other brother or sister in Christ about your relationship with the Lord the happy person not only is described by resisting the things of the world the philosophy of the world the the lifestyle of the world but also has the delight, a delight in the Word of God. And that leads to the third point, the discipline of the happy person. Now, really, probably a better word would just be the word habit, right? The habit of the happy person. But it doesn't start with a D, right? Uh, So it's the discipline of the happy person. Because a happy person delights in God's law, God's word, he or she meditates on it day and night. Day and night. Why? Because it's necessary in order to resist walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of scoffers. We are bombarded throughout our waking hours with messages of many kinds from many places, from left, right, and middle. And the vast majority are inconsistent with and contradictory to a life of obedience to the Lord. In Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world. One paraphrase puts it like this. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But how? How do we resist that? By meditating on God's word day and night. When Israel was preparing to enter the promised land at the end of their 40 years in the wilderness, Moses reminded the people of what God had commanded so they would not adopt the ways of the ungodly Canaanites who inhabited that land. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, we see some clear instructions from the Lord through Moses to the people. If you want to turn there, I'll give you just a moment. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There you go. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we see this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Why? So that the word of God could guide them. It could enable them to resist walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers like the people around them. We need God's word all the time. We need to meditate on it day and night. The way for the people of Israel to avoid being like the world around them was to keep God's word before them all the time. For us as well, it is the only way to keep us from falling into the ditch of error, whether we're talking about error in belief or error in practice, whether the ditch is on the left or the ditch is on the right. We need God's word. And the truth is this, we generally make time for the things we delight in. We generally don't have to really be all that disciplined to spend time with those that we delight in, to take part in the things that we delight in. We, we love to spend time with people and do things that we delight in. I'm not going to tell you how many times I've watched the highlights from the Ohio State-Clemson game since, since the game was over. Why? Why have I watched it multiple times? Because I delight in that win. And I can't tell you how many times I look at pictures and watch videos of my grandchildren. Why? Because I delight in them. And currently, I can't be with them face to face. What does our practice regarding spending time in God's Word, reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, studying it, so that it can shape us, so that it can guide us, so that it can teach us, so that it can change us. What does that say about whether or not I'm delighting in God's Word. There's one more thing, and that is the destiny of the happy person. Let me read verses 3 through 6 again. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in a season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The happy, Bible-delighting, meditating person, the psalmist says, is fruitful, healthy, prosperous, but not necessarily physically or materially. 
He is fruitful and healthy and prosperous spiritually. We know that because of the contrast between this godly person and the wicked. And it says of the wicked, they are like chaff which the wind blows away. It says that they shall not stand in the judgment. That is, they're going to stand before God's judgment. They will not stand. They will not be able to stand as righteous, not be able to endure God's judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They will not be counted with the righteous. And when will this occur? We're talking about God's judgment. And the, the godly, on the other hand, will stand. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That is, he is intimately acquainted with them. The reality is that we know many wicked who are physically healthy and materially prosperous, but they are spiritually dead even as they live, and they are destined to perish. That is, to, to experience God's wrath, God's judgment for eternity. We're not going to turn to it, but Mark Psalm 73. It describes a man, Asaph, and, and his struggle with the fact that the wicked did seem to prosper materially and physically and everything. And he thought, why is that whenever God's people suffer so much? And then when we get towards the end, he says, and then I went into the house of God. Then I, under, I understood their end. They are set in slippery places. And their destruction will come in a moment. You see, what shall, a man, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits his soul? The happy, the truly happy person who is happy because he is not described by walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night the truly godly happy blessed person will be with the Lord forever he has an inheritance as Peter wrote and I read just a little while ago reserved in heaven for him not because he's earned it, but because it's God's gracious gift to him in Christ. So how does one become truly happy? Psalm 1 really describes the experience of the truly happy person. It's not so much how they become this way. They become this way by escaping their natural condition before God. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none who does good in our natural condition. So how is anyone to be described by what we've just read in Psalm 1? 
It is a work of God's grace. That's how someone becomes a person who delights in God's law and meditates on it day and night. It is the description that we find in Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This describes everyone in our natural condition. But God, verse 4, begins to describe the rescue. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that, In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. In them. Are you a happy person? Have you escaped the snare of the world? Have you been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does that describe you? Who is a truly happy person? Not necessarily the richest person or the successful person or even someone who's been delivered from death's door. The happiest person, according to Scripture, according to God's Word, is a person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in a season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Is that you? I hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that true blessedness, true happiness is not dependent on our financial status, our worldly success, our physical health even. But Lord, it's determined by our relationship with you. Is determined by whether or not we delight in your word. Because we delight in you. Because you have changed us. You have given us new life in Christ. So that we meditate 
on your word day and night. It becomes to us our necessary food. It informs us, instructs us, corrects us, it shapes us, it trains us, it molds us into the image of your Son. Father, I pray that it would do so increasingly in my life and the life of your people. Father, I also pray for those who are not delighting in your word because they, delight, they don't delight in you because they don't know you personally as Savior. Father, I pray that even now they would recognize their desperate condition. They would turn from sin and self and put their trust in Christ. I pray, Father, that they would do it even before this hour is over. In Jesus' name, amen.